The UDR cast is not affiliated and does not represent any 12-step fellowship. I, Bill Ward, the host of the UDR cast, will be sharing my experience and my journey of recovery. That does include, but is not limited to, the literature contained in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous and the 12 Steps. Our guests will be sharing their own path to recovery and what has worked for them. The UDR cast encourages and supports all paths to recovery. Welcome everybody to the UDR cast. UDR stands for Uncover, Discover and Recover. My name is Bill Ward and I'm coming to you from the recovery capital of Canada, Calgary, Alberta. Here we are going to discuss everything recovery, different perspectives, different experiences, both with the people I know and with others from around the world. If you resonate with anything you've heard on this episode today, we ask that you share it with anyone who you think may benefit from it. If you have any questions or comments, please find us at billward.life and send us a message in the info section. We'll get back to you as soon as we can. If you are interested in more recovery content, you can find the buttons for the YouTube channel and other social media outlets on the homepage, and you will be redirected to those platforms. We can recover. One person, one family, one community at a time. come to the rooms we start learning listening and a lot of us at first we don't really understand the literature which is fine because you got to start somewhere right and even a lot of people that have spent many years in the program don't understand the literature but the literature is actually very very cute in what it's actually saying way back in step one and remember for anyone here who's new that might be on step one there's 103 pages of the big book that is actually the 12 steps. Out of those 103 pages, about 51 of those pages is step one, right? Because we need to understand the illness. If you don't really understand the illness, your fucking chances of recovery are pretty fucking slim, right? And there's a, there's a, big, there's a big wave of people in the program that don't stay sober, okay? So that's the reality. Why, in my opinion, do not people not stay sober? Because they don't understand their true predicament. They do not understand step one. They do not understand the spiritual malady, the obsession, which is not actually the obsession. It doesn't describe it as the obsession in the big book. Nowhere in the big book does it talk about the obsession. It talks about mental blank spot. It talks about me picking up a drink with an, an insane trivial excuse. So it doesn't actually say obsession. Really, when you think of obsession, you're living in a malady. You're living in the malady and you fucking need relief and you need it now. That's essentially what the obsession is. But the thing to understand about step one is, at a certain point, you have no effective mental defense against the first drink. And we can all think about the times that we were using effective mental defenses against the first drink. Oh, I remember what's going to happen to my family if I pick up. Oh, I'm going to probably lose my job. Oh, I won't get up and be able to make the function. And so we're using constantly mental defenses. But at some point, that will give way and we will pick up the drink. Because we don't, at a point, we won't have an effective mental defense. Because of the mental blank spot, right? 
And in the chapter more about alcoholism, that chapter is really, really super fucking important. Really, when you first read that chapter, it just has three stories in it. It's the carpet slipper guy who stayed sober 25 years and decided it would have a, be a good idea to have a drink. And then he was dead within five years. Okay? So there's that story, which is important. But the other two stories to me are more important, Jim's story and Fred's story. So in Jim's story and Fred's story, you know, Jim was like, okay, I'm just going to go for a drive and I'm going to fucking stop for a sandwich. I'm going to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk. And it couldn't hurt me on a full stomach. And then later in that literature, about a paragraph past that, it says, whatever the precise definition of the word may be, we call this plain fucking insanity. How can a lack of proportion be anything else? Knowing what always happens, Jim fucking thought it was a good idea to put whiskey in milk. That's the insanity, right? When we talk about the insanity of step two, came to believe that God could restore us to sanity. What that means, especially when you're new in those first couple few years, is God will match you to not pick up this drink with the insane idea to pick it up. So this is insane. I know it's insane when I pick up a crack pipe or a drink. And now God can match that sanity and I won't pick it up. But in that Jim's Jim story, it says, I thought it would be a good idea to put an ounce of whiskey in my milk. So he has the thought of drink. It's just a quick thought. Boom, thought of drink in my milk won't hurt me on a full stomach. There's the insane trivial excuse, okay? That's how quick this shit happens. You have the thought of drink, you marry it with the fucking stupid excuse, and you're fucking as good as drunk right now, right? And same with... Uh, Fred's story. Fred, Fred was fucking walking across the threshold of the dining room in the hotel. He had a fucking great day, this guy. You know, he, he did a business proposal for his associates. He knew they would be happy. He was just going to fucking go for a walk. But he crossed the threshold of the dining room and thought it would be a good idea to have some cocktails with dinner. So he had the thought of drink, cocktails, dinner, doom, boom, he's fucking drunk. That's how quick this shit happens, right? Well, what drives that? It's the restless irritable discontentment. As soon as I'm too restless irritable discontent or whatever, I fucking, I don't have a defense and I will have the thought of drink and then I'll pick up, right? And the mental defense that maybe I've been using in that first year, like anyone here in their first year or even two years, like my opinion, this is my opinion, and it's my big book study, so it's fucking my opinion. <laughs> um, a lot of people attach the idea of God, but they're not actually working with God, okay? Like, the idea of God sounds great, and you can see that in a lot of new people in the rooms, but they're not actually working with God in their life. And once that second year comes, most people fucking drink. Because the theory of God will not keep you sober, but the fellowship and the momentum of that first year will keep you sober. But when life starts happening again in that second year, usually people drink because it was the ego attached to the idea of God. So in essence, God was an effective mental defense. He wasn't actually working in and through you through the comprehensive detail uh, directions in the book. If we follow the detailed directions in the book, God actually starts working in and through our lives, okay? And 
the other part to this is as soon as I put this shit in my bloodstream, once I put a sip in my body, now I've set off the phenomenon of craving, right? So now I'm fucking, I'm not drinking to escape life, which I was. Usually most of us, you know, life piles up on you. You need a fucking relief. So you fucking succumb to the desire, you fucking fail to resist and you put it in your body. But the thing for us, because we've crossed the line in our drinking or drugging career, once we put it in our bloodstream, we're no longer drinking to escape life piling up on me. We are now drinking to overcome the physical craving in my body beyond my mental control. And I do not have the power and choice to stop. And that is really important. So how do I not put it in my body? Well, I can't just use a mental defense. It told me that it doesn't work. And me as a sponsor, I've seen that it doesn't fucking work. It might work for a little while. But when is it not going to work? That's the thing. Maybe a mental defense works for a thousand times in a row. Maybe a hundred times in a row. But when is that one time where it doesn't fucking work? You don't know. If you knew, you wouldn't fucking need to be here, right? So knowing all that stuff... Understanding the disease part, the illness part, the mental blank spot, the inability to leave it alone, the actual powerlessness, then you'll accept step two. Because if you don't understand step one and it's in the deep innermost concession that you're fucked, you won't understand, you won't fucking take step two real, for real, right? And step two needs to be a real fucking relationship. So you can have the belief of step two, great, now, the most important part of that is to actually turn it over. And learning how to turn it over is where you will have God working in and through you. And you will be able to fucking match the insane thought to drink with the sane thought not to drink. Okay, so now moving along into this step three and four, we get to the step three prayer. And we say this prayer because we know our lives are on the line. And it talks about building with me, doing with me as thou wilt, relieving me of the bondage of self, and taking away my difficulties. My difficulties are my defects of character, of which we will find out about in step four. And my bondage of self are, is also my defects of character and all the manifestations which we also find out in step four. And the build with me and the do with me as thou wilt is me being willing to let these fucking things go, but I, don't, I can't let them go if I don't know what they are. So we find out what they are also in this step four. Okay? And then we fucking do more of this in the step five with our sponsor. And then the real meat and potatoes of the program is your step six. And fucking being entirely willing to fucking let these things go without reservation, which is really fucking hard. But if you understand the illness and you're fucking using step two and step three, you're God, you can have a successful step six that will launch you into the fourth dimension. The step six is the most important step in this program, in my opinion, because it actually produces the psychic change if you're willing to actually do it. Where is step six actually worked? Anyone? In step 10. So I make a decision in step three. I understand the concepts of step six, and it's all worked in step 10. Practical application of step 10 is me turning my will and my life over. It's hard to do, but once you get a little bit practice in it, it fucking works really well. 
And why I talk about step six so much is because the way that I learned how to do step 10, because no one taught me the shit. The stuff I'm teaching you guys, no one taught me. No one taught us. Me and my buddy Jesse, we figured all this shit out. So how did I figure it out? Well, I was burning down my life with my defects of character, with anger still, with fucking uh, lust, and lying, and bullshit. I remember one time, I'm going to tell a story with my daughter. Um, this is one time I was dating this woman and we had just started dating like months before and she was going to leave town for like a month or something and I wanted to spend time with her but I was out of town working and my other daughter, Jillian, who's not here, she called me and said, hey dad, I can't wait to see you and I'm supposed to be home tomorrow but I actually got home today. She's like, where are you? I said, oh, I'm on my way back from work. But I was actually back from work. I just lied to her because I wanted to see my girlfriend. But I forgot that I'd seen my dad. <laughs> so I saw my dad. My dad goes for dinner with my daughters. And fucking my daughter calls me back and says, Dad, you're fucking back in town. Why'd you lie to me? And then Lucy got on the phone and she's just fucking tearing strips off me, right? Like, what the fuck, you fucking lying piece of shit and blah, 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 right? Right? So what actually happened there is way back in the beginning of this, like, we're going to read that today, why I'm telling you the story, because it's in here, it's in the fears, and it's also, I want to talk about decisions based on self. So I made the decision based in self out of fear, because I wasn't going to be able to see my girlfriend. So I fucking, I had the fear that was driven from my instinct, my instinct for companionship, emotional security, and sex relation, which is in the step four and the 12 and 12. That actually is the root of all of my issues. So that's what drove this decision to fucking want to be with my girlfriend. And then when my daughter called me, I just fucking lied because that's what we do, right? Fucking, it was just a little white lie. I didn't think it was really going to hurt anybody. So then I make another decision based on self. And all of these decisions based on self fucking set the ball rolling. And then my kids didn't want to see me for like fucking two months. And that was in my first couple years. And I made a lot of fucking serious mistakes in the first couple years. But I'm not going to say that I made serious mistakes because I fucking learned from every one of them. But while I was going through those mistakes, it seemed that life was never fucking going to get good for me again. I was never really going to have like a good life again. So I'm here to tell you guys if you're struggling or you're fucking, you're, you're trying to get through shit. You fucking got to get through the shit before you can fucking see the other side. And like I have another story where I fucking fucked a newcomer in early recovery. She was six months. I was 14 months. She fucking relapsed after I broke up with her and I wasn't even going out with her. That was the whole thing. <laughs> I, w I didn't want to date her, but we just, she was, I'll tell you the story. It's fucking stupid too. <coughs> so I'm hanging out with this chick. And, uh, and me and a whole bunch, like, we all do this in early recovery. We go out in groups and we hang out. So we were out in a group and we hung out. And then I got this text from this girl. And she's, like, half my age. I'm, like, 42. She's, like, 24. And she messaged me and she's, like, hey. And then I could just tell. I'm, like, oh, no. This is fucking not good. Right? 
And I had just dropped her off and I'm driving home to my uh, basement suite apartment because that's what I had to live in for the, you know, after I left my trailer that I lived in, <laughs> after I left my million dollar house that I lost. Anyway, so I'm driving back home and she texts me and then I pulled over and I'm looking at my phone and I'm like, fuck, this is not good. And I was like, fuck. I pulled over and I prayed and I asked God, I'm like, God, fucking, this is not your will. Please help me in this moment with the decision that I need. I need your help. And so I prayed on it too, right? And then I just took God's will and I crumpled it up in a ball and I rolled down my window. I said, fuck God's will. And I went back to her house, right? So then it started and then the deal was, okay, we'll just be fuck friends for however long. The deal was, don't fucking fall in love with me. I made that clear. We'll just do this and have some fun. And then a month later, we're hanging out, and I'm, I'm looking at her, and I'm like, fuck, are you falling in love with me? She's, she's like, yeah, I am. I can't help it. And I'm like, fuck, man. That's not how this is supposed to go. So I broke up with her. But I wasn't even going out with her. And then, and then she relapsed, like two weeks later. But in early recovery, this is not, so I, everything I say, I fucking learned the hard way. So I had a pillar, and the word pillars in the program, that came from me and Jesse, just so you know, I'll just throw that in there, because I'm kind of proud of that. Um, but I used to tell this woman, who was my friend, all of my stuff. Like in my recovery, we always tell our friends our, our stuff, right? But she wasn't fucking like doing the deal, really. But I didn't know. I was so new and fucking so stupid. I'm telling her everything. And then I tell her this. And then what she did is she fucking went around and fucking spread my name all over and said I was a predator and I was a piece of shit and all this stuff. And fucking I suffered so much fucking humiliation in the early days of this program because I've had a pretty decent message even at the beginning. But people were ostracizing me. They were calling me a piece of shit. They wouldn't talk to me. And uh, I went to my sponsor and I talked to my sponsor and he's like, when are you going to fucking quit blaming everybody else, bro? You're the one that made the decision. You did this. Yeah, it might not have been exactly how everyone thinks it is. And this woman who's spreading mud around your, the program about you, fuck, you can't control that shit. So pull your head out of your fucking ass and take responsibility for your own shit. And then I left him and I was so fucking mad at him that day. <laughs> but out of that whole thing, out of that whole situation, I learned that I can manipulate my sponsor. I can manipulate one person. So I, I started, this is where pillars came from. I started using three or four people. Jesse and I talked about this. We started using three or four people. They had to be God-centered. They had to be 12 steps. Because I can't manipulate everybody. And I wasn't even trying to manipulate my sponsor. We don't try, right? But we just were manipulators at, at the core of it. And we get good at it. So I used different pillars. I realized at that time I could not go and justify and tell everybody the truth of what actually happened. So everyone's going to live on the gossip that they heard. And I couldn't do fucking anything except be honest with my pillars be honest with God and fucking run the program by myself. Because we all know there's a lot of fucking gossip in this program. There's a lot of bullshit going on. And you're going to have to fucking leave people behind. 
And you're going to have to go forward. And sometimes it's going to be really fucking lonely. Really fucking lonely. But the fellowship of tradition three, of which I'm talking about, fellowship of tradition three is a really sick fellowship. But there's another fellowship that the big book talks about. It's the fellowship of the spirit. And here you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. So the goal here for us is we, gotta, we wanna level up to the fellowship of the spirit, to the fellowship of God. And here you will surely meet some of us. And if you walk this road with God and you try your fucking hardest to grow and learn, I, I don't know who it was, but we were talking about it a session or two ago. And who the fuck was it? I think it was you. Uh, where we were talking about a situation that you had been going through and it didn't matter what, maybe it was you, maybe it was, didn't matter what other fucking people thought. As long as you were honest with your pillars and you fucking stayed the course, truly, when you fall down, the people that actually love you, they'll fucking still be there. And while other people are talking shit and doing that fucking game, you're fucking good. You stick to your pillars and, and we stick to that fucking path. And why I tell you guys all this stuff is because the inner turmoil has to come before serenity. The pains of drinking before sobriety, but the inner turmoil before serenity. And that inner turmoil that you go through where other people are talking shit and, you know, we're struggling and we're suffering a lot of pain. That's where you're going to fucking grow. But that's where most people go and they're drunk. But we stay the course, man. You, lot, you rely on your pillars. And anyone who's in this room who's reached out to me, you know that I'm always here, right? I might not get to you at that second, but I try to never forget. And that's, you know, and I know Barb and Anna and Paul, and we do this shit, Michael, right? You find those people who are fucking core people who are really want to help, and you fucking you lean on them. And you be one too, right? You be one too. So as we get into that step three decision, we need to fucking clear the channel. And if we don't clear the channel, we won't have a connection with God. And the connection with God is the God inside of us, but God is blocked out by fucking a whole bunch of bullshit that we start learning in this step four. So I'm just going to start reading. Bottom paragraph, we turn back to the list for it held the key to our future. We were prepared to look at it from an entirely different angle. We begin to see that it, the world and its people really dominated us. In that state, the wrongdoing of others fancied or real had power to actually kill. How could we escape? We saw that these resentments must be mastered. But how? We could not wish them away any more than alcohol. This was our course. So we talk about directions. It says this was our course, meaning here's some directions. And we already have the first three columns laid out, right? Everyone knows the first three columns of your life. If you haven't done a step four, you fucking know it. You know who it is. You know what they've done. And you know that it fucking hurt you. So if you're working with your sponsor and you're afraid to do a step four, don't fucking worry about it. You've already done it. And you need this data and information to fucking grow. So the first three columns should be a cinch. This is, we're talking about the fourth column now. This was our course. We realized that the people who wronged us, the people in column one, were perhaps spiritually sick. 
although we did not like their symptoms. Column two. Column two is their symptoms of being spiritually sick and the way that they disturbed us. That's column three. That's how they disturbed you. And when we talk about the disturbances, on that third column, it was self-esteem, security, ambitions, or personal or sexual relations, what had been interfered with. So those three, those things in the third column actually go deeper. They go way deep inside of us into our instincts. So if you want to expand on what that third column is talking about, I highly recommend you read the step four in the 12 and 12, first page and a half. Because it'll give you a good description of where these things come from. That's what actually drives all the defects, okay? So they disturbed us. They, like ourselves, were sick too. So we asked God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity, and patience that we would cheerfully grant a sick friend. When the person offended, we said to ourselves, this is a sick man, how may I be helpful to him? God save me from being angry. Thy will be done. Last week, we talked about this is the resentment prayer. It's one of the actual first prayers in the book, in the literature, okay? Like, it's, it's the first prayer, really. You can kind of pull other prayers, make prayers out of shit, but this is the first real prayer. And it's at the step four for a reason, right? You use it to, to go through your resentments as you're writing your resentments. You use this prayer as you're writing each resentment. And then when I'm done a step five with a person, I'm going to get them to reread this prayer on every resentment when we're done. But like Anna had talked about earlier tonight, before we got going, there's another thing on page 552 where I would highly recommend you use the 552 directions. It's in a story, but it's still a fucking good set of directions that allows you to fucking work through resentments. And it talks about whoever you're resentful at, you pray for them every day for two weeks and you... You ask for them the exact same things that you would want for yourself. And you do this religiously. Like when I talk about like doing this shit, I don't mean like you fucking do it when you feel like it. Like I sent those girls and some of you other ladies uh, my, my uh, sponsorship directions on what to do in the mornings and shit. It's pretty fucking detailed, right? Yeah, like right? Yeah, good. And in the top of it, it says before you do anything in capitals, right? So, like, you just don't do this stuff when you feel like it. You got to get disciplined. We alcoholics are undisciplined. So we let God discipline us with our own discipline, and we fucking do what we're supposed to do. For the alcoholic and addict that doesn't do what they're supposed to do, I'll tell you what. This weekend, I know somebody with long, long-term sobriety that relapsed because they weren't doing what they fucking were supposed to do. They quit going to meetings. They started getting on with the business of being self-satisfied, buying shit. I saw them on Facebook and Instagram for the last eight months. Fucking everything's great in their life. New cars, new this, new that. Fucking jobs, money, all the good shit trips. And what happened? They're fucking drunk today. And now they've set off the phenomenon of craving with years of recovery in the, under their belt. But if, you're, if you don't do the stuff we need to do, that's the result. And then there was another guy. Um, I don't know him really well, but I've met him a few times. He's on one of my Facebook friends. He fucking uh, overdosed the other day. Because he, he didn't... I don't know if this guy was ever shown what you guys are being shown, right? Because there's a lot of people in the program that will never get what you're getting here. 
And you will never, they never get the real fucking meat and potatoes. And to highlight that, I just want to know, is there anyone that's in the room here tonight that's been around a long time that, that never really heard or saw the fucking real message and maybe in the last year you're starting to hear it? Tell me, Thomas. Yeah, explain it a bit. You've been around how long? I first came into the program as about 20, maybe 22 to a couple of meetings. Uh, 24, I went through a treatment center. And what are you seeing lately? Um, I never just, I never understood anything anybody was ever saying. You know, they were talking about all the shit that you know, like, uh, I didn't have a clue. You know, and uh, you know, I just. I'd only done one to five, one to five, one to five, you know, and actually only one, maybe two and three, a little bit of four, and, you know, five, and then I'd, you know, grab nine and go back out and apologize all the time, and that was, yeah. right. that was pretty much it, right? And, and, and uh, I never, ever got to step six. And I just woke up in a treatment center and realized that all those defects, character, are the whole fucking reason why I'm still right. there. That's, that's, you know, so now, so then I had this great big fucking light bulb went off in my head and I ran to a fucking meeting. I couldn't wait to get up there and talk. And then the first fucking, the first three people that went up in front of me said exactly what I was going to say. And I was like, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I thought I had this light bulb went out and I had this great message to go up there and give. And it's the shit that I wasn't hearing ever. So what I love about what you just said, the light bulb of it's the defects of character. That's, that's what this is about. This isn't about drinking or drug using. When I sponsor someone, I do not fucking focus on the, on the substance. I do to a little bit of a degree if I'm working with a wet alcoholic. But I'm focused on the fucking uh, defects of character, right? And like, you know, not to like toot my own horn, but the success rate that I have as a sponsor is super high because I fucking do it that way. Go ahead. Can I just... The, the, the biggest the biggest thing, and, I, and I've tried to get it out where I'm at right now, and I'm kind of getting a bit of a, a resistance, but the problem with the defects of character is that you can understand what they are, but how the fuck do you change? I used to get be loaded going, oh, I'm an idiot, I can't believe I did this shit, and I could admit that I, you know, I could see that I was the idiot, but I, I, I didn't have any psychological power to change any right. of those things, right? And, and still, right now, I still don't have right. that psych psychological power. Okay, you, you bring up another fucking great point, bro. This is why we need God. He's like, I don't have the psychological power to change any of this shit. And you don't. That's, that's exactly why we need God, right? And I... If I could find it quickly here, I'd read it, but I probably won't find it quick enough. But I've read it before. If we can have moral and philosophical convictions galore. You have moral and you have philosophical convictions galore, but you cannot live up to them, even though you would like to. As marshaled by your own will, they fail utterly. You had to have God's help. And, and the only way to get rid of this shit, Thomas, is to build that fucking relationship with God. That's why I'm a step six Nazi, right? Because that's, that's what that step is about. It's about any person capable of enough willingness. Are you fucking willing in those moments and honesty to try repeatedly, bro, over and over and over without reservations? With no reservations, you fucking keep trying repeatedly. Step six on all your faults, not part of them. 
But you got to see what the faults are first. And then it says, has indeed come a long way spiritually. It's through that process that you gain your spirituality. Through the relinquishment of that shit, you fucking grow closer to God. And honestly, that's my exact experience. That's why I, I talk about step six. Because I didn't even understand step ten because no one taught me that shit. But once I fucking was burning down my life, like I was explaining to you with all these things I was doing. Me and Jesse, we went into the 12 and 12. And we started reading step six in the 12 and 12. He only had a year and I had like two years. And then we started like extrapolating each word. And I remember in the step six, I'm like, the thing that really caught me the first time was that who doesn't like to be a little superior to their fellows? Or how about a lot superior? And then I was like, how do I fucking, how do I like to be superior in my life overall? So I started looking when I played hockey, when I was a skateboarder, you know, with my brother, with fucking my friends. And then I started seeing this thing fucking just run my whole life, right? And then, you know, gossip barbed with our anger. Here we are not trying to help those that we're criticizing. We're proclaiming our own righteousness. So gossiping about people is not fucking helping anybody. It's making me more superior to you. And it's a soul sickness, right? So as you read these, these words, and why I say the literature, you read the literature and you see what the literature is saying and then you'll fucking get the light bulbs going off, right? You look up words like, fuck, I couldn't even tell you how many words I've looked up. As you know, I, I quote the shit out of the book and that's probably because I've looked up the words, right? And then shit makes sense. And once it makes sense in my life, that's why I can remember this shit. Because it's happened in my life and now it's fucking ingrained in me because I lived that experience, right? Okay, let's keep going. Okay, this is, we're going to get into the fourth column here. We avoid retaliation or argument directions. That's part of our directions and our recovery. We avoid retaliation or argument, period. You know, normal people might be able to retaliate and argue. But for us, it's fucking poison. We don't do that. We try not to. We wouldn't treat sick people that way. If we do, we destroy our chances of being helpful. Because I need to be helpful. My very life as an ex-problem drinker depends on my constant thought of others and how I may help meet somebody else's needs. We cannot be helpful to all people, but at least God will show us how to take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every one. So if I can't be helpful, at least God can help me take a kindly and tolerant view of each and every person. And that doesn't happen right away either. That happens through the process of the step 10 also. Like step 10 is the fucking gold mine here. So number, now we got the little baby four, right? So I don't know if you guys marked that in your books, but right before the word referring, we wrote a little baby number four to emphasize the fourth column. So referring to our list again, the fourth column, putting out of our minds the wrongs others had done. We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Where had we been selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened? And those ones should be underlined or circled. Selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened. Though the situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? The inventory was ours, not the other man's. When we saw our faults, we listed them 
We placed them before us in black and white and we admitted our wrongs honestly. And we were willing to set these matters straight. So for anyone new, when you first do this fourth column, this is where you look at everything from a different angle. You've been living your whole life being dominated by the world and its people. And everyone's been fucking you and no one fucking listens to you and fucking if, every, if these people would just do this, I could get a break. You know, if my boss would just notice me, I could make some fucking money. You know, if, if that girl would just notice me, then maybe I could have a relate like fucking the world just fucks us, right? So now, and that's really a, evident in the step four in the first three columns. You know, when you get somebody writing the first three columns, a sponsee, it's kind of like, it's just like, oh yeah, they're fucking going at it, right? And that's why we don't let them write too much in the second column. Because the second column, fucking an alcoholic attitude's resentful and fucking has a hate on for life. They're going to fucking write everything out in that second column. And they want to. Because it's the selfish, self-centered nature to fucking blame everybody. And they get a perverse soul fucking sickness out of writing that. But it feels good, kind of. Right? So we don't let them write that. We keep it to the fucking main bullet points. You write down five. They're short. That's it. And we'll talk about the rest of them in the step five. But now, living like that my whole life, how do I, how do I actually, like it says here, how do I put out of my mind the, uh, the wrongs others have done? How the fuck do you do that when you've been blaming people your whole life? That's fucking not easy to do. We resolutely looked for our own mistakes. Here's the thing about this. Most people will be like, okay, I can, I can resolutely look for my own mistakes and I can put out of my mind almost all of what you've done, but it's going to be like a 75-25. You're 25% wrong, I can look at my 75% wrong. That's not what the fuck we're talking about. But that's kind of what most sponsees will do they'll still be like okay i'm gonna fucking sway it to my side a little bit it's it was 75 percent them actually it was 90 percent them most of my life now just for you sponsor i'm gonna make it i'm just i'm gonna make it like 75 percent them and 25 percent me or 60 percent them and 40 percent me but that's still not what we're talking about we got to get it out of our minds anything that they've done is not our fucking concern at all and then, so in that fourth column, you just write what you fucking did. Where were you selfish? Where were you dishonest? Where were you afraid? So in that example I gave you with Lucy and my daughters, right? I could, in my old life, I would have blamed probably my girlfriend for that one. Fucking probably would have blamed, you know, my daughters wanting more time with me and fucking whatever, my dad, yeah. <laughs> but in that one, I was selfish in the fact that I wanted what I wanted and I wanted the time with my girlfriend. That's the first one. I was selfish. Boom. I was dishonest because not only did I lie to my daughters, I lied to my girlfriend because I never told her that I lied to my kids. She probably wouldn't have thought too nicely about that. She would have actually wanted me to go see my kids, right? So I was dishonest to her. 
I was dishonest with my kids. I was dishonest with me. I was selfish because I didn't tell my girlfriend about it. And I didn't tell, or I lied to my kids. Um, what are the other ones? Self-seeking. I was self-seeking all over that shit. I was frightened. Yeah, I was fucking frightened. I didn't want to miss time out with her. I didn't want my daughter to know that I was in town. Like, I had every part of it on my fourth column in that example right there. Though the situation had not been entirely our fault, we tried to disregard the other person involved entirely. Where were we to blame? Okay, so I'm going to use another example. If anyone has an example that they want to use, we can use it. But I'll give you another one from my own old life. So I used to have this girlfriend when I was 18. And she had cheated on like fucking, sorry that I'm using girlfriend examples, Corby. She's, she's, she's strong in, in her identity and we've had good talks. So. And I've shared some of those talks to a degree with you guys. She's a good woman. Anyway, I dated this girl and, uh, and I was fucking fucked up. Party animal. I was so oblivious to what was going on. Four of my buddies fucked my old lady. And uh, my one buddy one day came and he's like, fuck, dude. I hate to tell you this, but like everyone's been fucking your girlfriend. <laughs> and I'm just like, fuck, really? You fucking assholes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I was resentful. I was resentful at all my buddies. I was resentful at her. So she's, she's who it is. What did, she, what did she do to me? She fucking lied to me. She fucked my buddies. She fucking used my money. She used my, my good nature. So she has all these, th I have all these things in the second column of her spiritual sickness. And how did they disturb me? Well, they disturbed me in my self-esteem. Like my self-esteem was just fucking sh shot once I found that out. My, my best buddies were fucking my girlfriend. My, my uh, personal security within my peer group. Like I want a level of security within my peers. And that was gone. I didn't feel like I could trust my buddies. I didn't have an emo uh, security with my girlfriend anymore. Right? And I didn't have any like self-security. I didn't even know who I was when I found this shit out. Ambitions? Yeah, it fucked my ambitions. I couldn't be me. I couldn't be normal. I couldn't just have fun with my buddies anymore. Because it changed everything, you know, and I was depressed and all that shit. My personal, yeah, it affected all my personal relationships. It actually even filtered to home, like even interacting with my mom and my brother because I'm not like me. And my sex relations, of course, it affected that. But underneath all that, again, I'm going to go in my instincts. So what actually was happening there is my instinct for sex relation, emotional security with my fellow partner and my fellow friends and my society at large, I didn't have any emotional security. And so I felt really lost because we all want emotional security. You want friends you can trust, right? You want people you can trust. And when you fucking lost all that trust, it's like you're lost because part of our instincts are have to have emotional security with our fellow man and our our parents and our intimate partners, right? So, but then getting to the fourth column in that, 
Where was I selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate, or frightened? Well, here's how I was selfish and self-seeking. Because this chick was pretty hot, I would always fucking flaunt her and fucking, you know, play the big shot with like, fuck yeah, this is my fucking old lady. Stay the fucking way, right? Like totally playing the big shot. Um... Where was I frightened? I was always frightened because I fucking, oh, I never wanted to be alone. So I, I would do anything. I'd let her fucking get away with anything, kind of, right? So we'd be at parties and she would be flirty. And I'd see that. And I knew inside that I fucking should probably say something. But I wouldn't because I was insecure, right? So I was fucking frightened. So I was being selfish and I couldn't speak my truth to her. So I just let it happen. So I was selfish, dishonest. Where was I frightened? I was frightened all over the place. And uh, self-seeking. Dishonest. I was dishonest all over the place. You guys get the point? Okay. So those are all the things that I did. I put out of my mind anything that she did or my friends did. I had to look at my defects of character. Of where I was insecure. And what I was doing to fuck up my own life. Where couldn't I stand up and fucking speak the truth? Where was I playing the big shot and fucking letting my ego fucking take over, <coughs> take over? And really, all I'm doing when I'm letting the ego take over and play the big shot is I want you to fucking look at me in a certain way. But it fucking fails me. You know, later we'll see where does self-reliance fail me. Self-reliance failed me all through that shit. But kind of, you know... What I will say about these defects of character that we learn about in these columns is a lot of these defects actually served me a fair amount as I grew into my fucking teenage years and into my adulthood. Like I got a defect of character of anger and I got a defect of character of lust, but anger actually expanded my life. Because I was so insecure as a kid and I was so broken, but didn't know it, I didn't know this shit, anger actually got me respect. Anger got me tail. Anger got me a lot of fucking things. So I used it as a tool to navigate life. And, and it expanded my life. And lust, same, same thing. Treating people shitty, same thing. So it got me a lot of good things. But as we kind of come in here, and we know that we drink and use drugs because of the defects of character. I'm going to quote a line here. It's out of step four in the 12 and 12. Character defects representing instincts gone astray has been the primary cause of our destructive drinking and our failure at life. Unless we are now willing to work hard at the elimination of the worst of these defects, both sobriety and peace of mind will still elude us. That all the faulty foundation of our life will have to be torn out and built upon a new bedrock. So it is the character defects that are representative of these instincts and why are my instincts gone astray? Because I didn't have my mom and my dad in my life when I was a kid. Because I didn't have fucking good um, self-confidence, self-esteem. Part of it because I was First Nations growing up in a white world fucking being bullied and having used anger and fucking all this shit to navigate life. So a lot of those defects that came out is because of shit that happened to me when I was a kid. But not only just because of that, but that's a big part of it, right? So then they'd come out in all these different ways in my adult life. 
But the thing about us is, as we get here and we burn down our lives because of the defects, they actually cause our failure at life. And then we pick up the drink because we're acting in them. So I'm failing at life because of these defects. I'm not living up to what society says. I have self-pity because if, you know, I'm not getting treated right and I can't seem to fucking get what everyone else has. And so then I pick up these drinks and these drugs and I medicate myself. And uh, that's actually what's causing the failure is the defects. And then I need the medication. And then once I'm on that train, I'm, I'm fucked, right? And then we... It works. The, de- the drinks and the drugs work for quite a while until they don't work. And then we're all here now because they don't work. Just like it says in the doctor's opinion, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. We all like the effect produced by alcohol and drugs. The sensation is so elusive. The sensation is now elusive. That used to get when it worked, when it actually worked to solve those fucking issues, the sensation is so elusive that while we admit it is injurious, meaning we admit it is injurious, I admit that it's bad for me, but we cannot, after time, differentiate the true from the false. I can't differentiate the true from the false because my little brain, when I pile life up inside me and I live in these defects, my little trigger goes click, click, click. I need relief. I need it now. What's always given it to me? Fucking alcohol and drugs. The problem is that it doesn't work and the sensation is elusive now. It's trying to like catch a chicken. Catch a chicken, you get some feathers, but you never catch the chicken. That's what drugs and alcohol do to us now. We're restless, irritable, discontent. There's no God in our lives. There's nothing. Unless we can again experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by taking what? First few drinks, okay? Okay, minus that shit. Get that shit out of your mind. You're restless, irritable, discontent, unless you can again experience a sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by gambling. Relationships, sex, porn, uh, anger. Because now you're fucking, before you drink, you're going to act out in all these other things. And when you put the drink and the drug down, now your disease comes out in all these other ways. Right? And for women, a lot of it is relationship hopping, man. Like, that's just the facts. A lot of women will fucking hop relationships and never deal with the fucking shit to get good on their own, right? And a lot of women actually have been taught that if you have sex with men, that's the way that you get them to love you. And, but that doesn't work either, right? And men think it's about the money and flaunting the shit and getting the jobs and having the status and driving the cars. And you'll see that with people that are untreated addicts and alcoholics in the program. You watch for this shit. It's fucking apparent everywhere. So when they're restless, irritable, discontent, and they're not working with God, it has to be material things, or it has to be other people, or it has to be status. It has to be something that feeds the ego. The thing about the ego is the ego is never fed. The ego only gets relief out of whatever it is. So if I'm acting out in anger, my ego loves the sense of power and control and anger. As I succumb to the desire again, I succumb to the desire. I fail to resist because I'm powerless over my anger. Because when you say the wrong shit to me and it hits that spot inside of me where the instincts are, then I fucking lash out at you and I double burial with my anger and I'm powerless over it. That's why we need fucking God, Thomas, right? And so same thing with women. 
the instincts drive me. And when a woman walks in the room, I can't help myself. Now I'm fucking hitting on her. Now I'm talking to her. Now I'm like trying to get her number. And it's just like, it's just like instinctual. Because I'm powerless over that. Why? Because my instincts need something from outside of me to fill that hole inside of me. But when you think about the ego, the power and control that it gets out of that situation too, but it needs more. And most people, when they get into these relationships, the shine wears off. The shine wears off because all based in the ego. And the ego always needs for more and it's never satisfied. So when we're restless, irritable, discontented, we can't, unless we can again experience the sense of ease and comfort that comes at once by God. God gives us real ease and comfort. So when we're going to put something else in there, like anger or lust or whatever, we got to be aware and go, fuck that. Even though that instinct might really fucking want to pull you towards what you've always been pulled to fill that hole, it's hard. Because that fight's so fucking powerful because you got some relief out of gambling or lust or porn or whatever. But when you act in those things and you go on the spree of those things, you actually feel worse about yourself when it's over. Whether it's fucking, fucking random men or women, fucking watching porn, gambling, anger. You go on the spree, you emerge remorseful, and you feel worse about yourself. And then you need more fucking relief. And then so you're doing more of that shit. That's why God's so important. Because when we put God in the alcoholic cycle, then we can fucking get the ease and comfort. The problem with putting God there is you got to be fucking honest and willing to try repeatedly step six on all these faults without reservation. This is the step that separates the men from the boys, the girls from the ladies. Because the boys are still going to seek the self-determined objectives or the girls. The easy fucking road. Right? Whereas the man's going to fucking do what's hard. And what's hard is, okay, I could get an easy piece of tail, but I'm not going to. I'm going to ask God to help me build character. And even though I see fucking 99 other guys getting an easy piece of tail, fucking seeking self-determined objectives, I'm fucking, I'm walking a lonely road. And they're like, why the fuck wouldn't you go get that? And I'm like, fuck, I know it doesn't seem right, eh? Fucking what an idiot I am. <laughs> but the thing about this fucking journey is you got to stay the course because the benefits of this, it doesn't even make sense when you first do some of this. It doesn't even make sense that you should go do this other thing or keep your mouth shut when buddy's lipping you off. Well, fuck, I'm just going to let him lip me off. Yeah, dude, you are. You're going to fucking let him lip you off and you're going to look at yourself in the mirror and go, what's the fucking lesson for me? Has nothing to do with him. That's a fucking symptom of his own fucking bullshit. So you're going to learn by looking in the mirror at your own shit, even though you might be frustrated and fucking pissed off, you're going to learn a fucking lesson. And as you learn the lesson, and at first you're not living in love and tolerance for the guy who's pissing you off, you're living in fucking tolerate, that's it. And you gotta start at tolerate. Cause you gotta start somewhere. And then you go down the road, eventually working this without reservation, you will get to the place where it's fucking tolerance. And when somebody fucking beats you off, later in life, when you're working this program for real, you're like, 
That guy's fucking emotionally ill, spiritually sick. <laughs> I'm going to go home and pray for him. <laughs> huh? And you mean it. You mean it. And like when we're praying for other people, here's the thing, okay? You can pray for other people, but most people will only pray for a few minutes or not even 20 seconds. Oh, I'm going to pray for this guy. But you never really prayed for the person, right? So I, I read this last time I was here, but I'm going to read it again. So in the step 10, it talks about we resolutely turned our thoughts to someone we can help. When you're praying for other people, this term right here, resolutely, is super fucking important. In an admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. So you pray for other people in an admirably purposeful, determined, and unwavering manner. You pray for their life to be better. You pray for their fucking love and forgiveness. You pray for them in a deep and heartfelt way. And the way that you do that is you pray longer. You pray for 30 seconds. You pray for a minute. And even with yourself, right? A lot of us have our own self-worth issues. You can pray for yourself in the same ways. That's why, you know, Crystal's talking about that thing that I gave her and she's reading these prayers. It's helping her with her own self-love and her own truth. And as we pray and we fucking do this shit, like seriously, it's not decaffeinated. Do you like decaffeinated coffee, bro? No. Okay, that's the willingness. Like if I was working with you and we got into that situation, I might even look at you and yell at you and fucking tell you if you don't fucking pray and fucking just rip your fucking ass apart and tell you, go fucking pray. I don't give a fuck what you think. Oh, I wanted right? to just, like I was like, I wanted to fucking hide behind a tree and wait for the fucking one Right. And his car out for work, you know, like, I mean, I yeah, was no. right behind that tree just waiting and he's like, here, go pray for him. No more of that shit, dude. But no, I mean, like, but I mean, I, it's just so. But it started working. No, it did. It worked. It right. Worked within a couple of, you know. And it did it. And I was looking at him like he was out of his mind. That's, you know, I can't tell you. Okay, so I'm just going to touch on a couple more things on this fourth column before we go for a smoke. So this is about our inventory only, right? And we fucking look at our mistakes. We resolutely look for our own mistakes only. We do not look at the other person's at all. And once you get good at this, so here's what I do in a step five when somebody can't quite see this because they've just written out their step fours. And even though they did the fourth column, a lot of people aren't really convinced that they... They don't think that... Uh, oh, fuck, hang on. They still think that the other person has a big role to play. They haven't really become convinced. So when I do a step five, what I'll do is I'll spend hours on the first five names. Usually it's your mom and your dad and your brother, your sister. And I really spend a lot of time in there. And what I do in that step five is I talk about your family. I talk about your grandparents. I talk about their grandparents. And I really show you what type of life these other people live. You know, what type of life did your dad live? You know, while well, my dad was fucking, you know, his dad was pretty rigid with him and, uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
But then when you really get into it, it's like, no, his dad was fucking in the army. His dad had learned fucking discipline in the army. His dad grew up in the fucking 30s in the Depression. His, his mom and his dad, back in those days, the woman played a role and the dad played a role. And, and a lot of times there wasn't a lot of love, like there wasn't a lot of affection. So a lot of these guys come into the rooms with not a lot of love and not a lot of, a lot of affection. And it actually stemmed from earlier in their fucking childhood upbringing. But when I show them how their parents were raised, they start letting down some of the resentments. Like, holy shit, my dad was actually beaten. His dad was a fucking alcoholic. Fucking, my, their mom was the only one that had his back, right? And, you know, there's just so many aspects to life that we don't really understand, but we just build life on, like, delusions. Exactly. That was my point. Right? How long did it take you to get to that point? 30 fucking years. <laughs> right? And, and that's like, that's an important fucking aspect. So had Aaron been shown like maybe more directions 30 years ago, he might have saw this in a different way. If he was listening. And I think a big point of what you're bringing up is, you know, once you do your first step four and you start seeing self in the fourth column, reluctantly at times, like in the 12 and 12, step seven, as we reluctantly come to grips with these serious character flaws, flaws that made problem drinkers of us in the first place. You start kind of reluctantly coming to grips with these things in your first step four. By the time you do your second step four, the, it's changed because the big resentments and how the world dominated you isn't really the same on the second step four. <clears throat> so what the second step four does, it has a lot more subtler manifestations of self. But then as you're growing in your recovery, you start fucking seeing how much value there is in understanding self and finding self in every behavior. So then it just becomes a pretty, pretty awesome way to live. And it's like, fuck, I don't want to live in self. Like in the line in step three where it said being convinced that any life run on self will can hardly be a success. I wasn't fully convinced in my first set of steps that my life run by me wasn't fully successful. But about four years in, three, four years in, dude, I'm fucking absolutely convinced because I understood self more. I could follow the breadcrumbs back now in any fucking pain that I'm in. And I went through some pain this weekend on my own decisions based on self. And I follow the breadcrumbs right back to me, man. Always. And I'm fucking convinced. And that's why I think I'm sick. Like, I'm sick today. Yeah, dude. I think when I live in self, I open myself up for sickness, too. So then I got sick this weekend because I lived in self on fucking Saturday and Sunday. But it, it entered me on Saturday when I was fucking weakened by my own self-imposed crisis of self. And I've noticed over the years that I talk about patterns, patterns in sobriety. You can only see patterns in sobriety if you stay sober. I've noticed over the years that I usually get sick, dude, when I'm acting in self. So my, it does something in the physiology in my body and allows whatever the bug to come in. But usually if I'm spiritually fit, I'm fucking pretty good and I don't get sick. It's pretty wild. So before we get into the fears, and we'll, we'll talk a lot about fears, that's what's coming up next. Let's have a smoke. Hey girl, can we also talk about self-pity? Yeah, sure. 
anyone has any questions about the different manifestations of self, self-pity, self-seeking, morbid reflection, whatever, we'll talk about that too. Thank you for tuning in to the UDR cast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode. The viewpoints and the opinions expressed today were solely of the individual sharing them. If you resonated with this episode, please follow us and share this link with anyone that may benefit from it. Please visit us at billward.life to see everything that we have going on. We can recover one person, one family, one community at a time.